welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about Okay, we've just finished a series, or finishing a series, which are finishing this morning, called Encounter. And I'm sure you've heard all some lovely messages um, on that. And I'm going to finish that off this morning. Well, that's the theory. And lead into our new series, which is... Oh, where is it on my notes? Anyway, I should remember. Think, speak, act. That's the new series. So I'm going to try and do a little bit of a transition here uh, from Encounter and into our new series and sort of blend this together and, um, and trusting that the Lord will really speak to us this morning. So I'm stating the obvious here, or maybe I'm not, but in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3, it says that we are tripart beings. We are made out of spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. And I do want to touch very much on the spirit later in this message and um, and we all know what the body side of us, that's the physical side of us, isn't it? Give your neighbor a pinch, and if they scream, you know you've got, they've got a physical body. If not, well, then they need help. They really do. I heard no screams. Lord, is this place dead? I hear life in the building. <laughs> but before we start looking at the spiritual side of things, I'm not going to say too much about the body. I want to look at that soul aspect of our beings, because the soul aspect of our being has to do with our thinking. Our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and emotions. And a couple of key scriptural texts this morning, which may or may not come up on the screen behind me. Romans 8 verse 6, it says this, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Letting the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, control your mind will lead to life and peace. Then Romans 12 verse 2, which is probably very familiar with um, anybody that's a church goer here this morning, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or as one translation puts it, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's my prayer this morning that God would really, really touch us. That's my prayer. Not just a nice sermon and some good words strung together, but that God would really, really touch you. And that if I could just stir you up a little bit to set you on a journey where you really get hungry and thirsty for God. If I've done that, then I've done what I believe God has called me to do this morning. So if you forget everything that I say but go out of here feeling thirsty for God, then something good has happened and I'm a happy man. And we're going to focus on that scripture. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That other version says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. If, if your mind and your thinking is 
focused on the stuff around you, it will affect you whether you like it or whether you don't. And those thoughts that you have will eventually lead to actions. And James chapter 1 is a classic verse on the classic portion on this 14 to 15. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to sin. So something Either you've watched, you've seen, you've heard, you've felt, it triggers our thinking. And the more, you, the more you think about it, the more you're led to act out upon what you think. And so words will come out, be birthed out of that, or deeds will be birthed out of that, actions will be birthed out of that. And repeated actions form habits, either good ones or bad ones. So repeated actions, based on what you've been thinking, will determine your lifestyle, either a good lifestyle or a bad lifestyle, either healthy and productive or unhealthy and destructive. And if you get a little bit educated about this and you're looking at the wrong person for that, these are called neural pathways in the brain. And the more you use the pathway, that train of thinking leading to an outcome and an action, the wider that pathway becomes and the easier it is to follow. Uh, for example, like learning to drive a car. Everybody drive cars here? And no six-year-olds put their hands up. Thank goodness for that. One person has got their license. Have we got licenses here? People? Okay, about half the congregation can drive. The other half, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> Anyhow, there was a point in time when you had to learn to drive, yes? I remember mine well. I do. My mother wouldn't let me drive the car because I'd coming out from motorbikes, and at one point I was crashing a couple of times a week. So she wouldn't let me learn to drive in the car. So I had to use my aunt's car. And it had no handbrake and no indicators. It was great fun. I can remember doing my test pretending to pull on the handbrake. But I actually was using my other foot on the brake and flicking the indicator, which did absolutely nothing. And anyhow, I passed my test. Miracle, eh? Granted, the instructor was white with fear, but anyhow. <laughs> what am I getting at? It took you time and thinking, you had to think about your actions, you what to do with that stick in the middle and how to move it and what have you. And if you came from an automatic and you're transitioning into manual, that's even worse. There's an extra pedal, you know, all of that stuff which is so hard to get, get, get a hold with it. But roll on 10 years, you didn't even think about whether you had a gear lever or not this morning. You just drove to church. Yes? Because you had developed a pathway which turned into a freeway because you're using that same thought pattern so much and so often now that your brain no longer has to use any energy to actually get you there. That's what I'm really talking about when we talk about a, a neural pathway. And the pathway, you know, the more you use it, the wider it gets and it becomes a freeway in your brain. You see, our brains are basically lazy. They will always take the path that uses the least amount of energy. 
Now, if you're wondering where is this going, well, here it is. That is why it's so difficult to break habits. Are you with me? You've got a freeway in your brain, and your brain is lazy, and it'll always take you down that way. So it's always so much more difficult to stop and do something else. So habits are hard to break, or to use biblical language, it's very hard to renew your mind. Coming back to our text this morning. And so the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. The devil and this world system which he rules is out to get you. That's a thought. And, and you know, I could say so much about this, but I ain't got time to. But needless to say, the whole advertising world affects how you think. Whether you like it or whether you're not, you end up listening to the advertising or the news or whatever, and, and you might even strongly disagree with what you're hearing, but the more you listen to it, the more it'll affect you, and eventually you start agreeing with that which you disagreed with in the beginning. That's how it works. If not, they wouldn't spend billions on advertising um, um, for that way. So you end up accepting and tolerating what you originally disagreed with. And uh, the neural science studies show us that society and communities have a bent towards collective reasoning. Together, we learn to think alike. And that collective thinking together becomes a mindset, and mindset ultimately dictates culture. So when we hang out together in a group, we tend to think alike. Together, we actually influence each other's thinking. We make culture together. So there are a couple of positives with what I've said here. There's also negatives too, depending on which way you look at it. Number one, hanging out in church is actually a good thing. Thank goodness two people do. Hanging out in church is actually a good thing. Why? Because we are actually influencing each other for good. And under good leadership and direction, we will develop a healthy mindset and a healthy culture. Question, how committed are you to a local church fellowship? And I'm not just promoting our own church. I'm saying you personally, because you may be a visitor here this morning, how, in your own personal life, how committed to you are to a local church fellowship? I want to encourage you, get committed somewhere where God places you, where he's planted you, and become part of that fellowship. Start living and breathing with that group because I tell you, it will affect the way you think and you will affect how other people think and we'll be on the one track together. And yo, the other side of this is you've got the Holy Spirit overseeing the whole lot. Amen? So church is actually a good thing. Number two, the word of God brings life. My link here is on the whole advertising thing and what we get what we get bombarded with. The word of God brings life by the Spirit of God. Some scriptures, John 6 63. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, they are full of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, they are full of the Spirit and life. Ephesians 6 verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 verse 2, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So when the Word 
of God is spoken when it is preached, when it is proclaimed under the anointing, under the wind, under the breath of the Holy Spirit. It is like a weapon. It's like a, it's like a sword that cuts down the enemy, that cuts through those things that are killing us and hindering us and binding us. It cuts through, it divides, it exposes, it even says it even divides between soul and spirit. It lays open and it lays bare our innermost thoughts in our minds. And the Word, by the Spirit, sets us free. Amen. The Word is a good thing. It's good to be exposed to the Word. That's based on Hebrews 4 verse 12. So we need to expose our mind, our thinking to the Word of God. We need to listen to it, read it, meditate on it, preach it, teach it. Think on it and then act on it and start living it. And the word will affect you for good. Amen? Wow, I like it. Okay. So if you spend three minutes a day doing your daily devotion and you're reading your word and you've read your verse for the day, your chapter a day, but then on the other hand, you're spending three hours a day listening to all the current affairs or watching it or the news or whatever, whatever you question. Who or what is influencing your thinking? I'll leave that with you because I know there's going to be a whole series on this. Who or what is influencing your thinking? There is stuff that you can do. Okay. Still with me? Great. Do not be conformed to this world, but have your mind renewed. Renewing your mind, changing the way you think. We are told so often and we try so hard to change our behavior. But listen to me. God is not trying to change your behavior. God is more interested in transforming your mind, which results in changed behavior. And you yourself, you yourself cannot change your life. But if you change your mind, if you change the way you think, your life will be changed. So center your mind on Christ and his word. Speak out what the word says about you. Not what you think. Not what other people are saying about you. Not, a, not rehearsing the voices in your head. All that negative junk which is spoken about you. No, no, no. Speak out what the word of God says about you. And it will change you. Your actions will be determined by your thoughts. So act on the Word and live the Word. Now, when I say that, I'm conscious that a lot of us might go home and say, that's it, I'm going to read 45 chapters of the Bible each day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to discipline myself. And the danger is there that you become a self-made person doing it all on your own. And that's not what I'm talking about. This, What I've just said there is not just a rational, stoic activity. What I believe it is is an outworking of an encounter with the living Christ.
And then you've got confession, and you've got faith, action. So this is where the spirit side of our being comes into play. Our spirit having an encounter with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and our spirit then affecting our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions, and our spirit affecting our physical bodies, being changed from the inside out. That's what we need, which brings me to really what I want to say this morning is about encounter. Encounter. And you've had a few sessions on this. Now you've got the Northern Ireland version, NIV. <clears throat> Encounter, to meet someone or something unexpectedly. A meeting, especially one that happens by chance, to experience something or a situation, especially when it's unexpected. That's what that word word means. And you may be here this morning or have been here and you've been in a desperate situation and you're, you're looking for an answer and you're hoping and you're praying for something to happen. And then when you did not expect it, you had an encounter. In other words, you experienced something that you did not predict. It was unexpected. God stepped in and he he touched you and you had an encounter that changed and transformed and renewed your mind that led you to a new way of acting and living with a completely different destination. An encounter. On a side note on this, often what we think is a terrible situation that's come into our lives from awful circumstances is in fact a roadblock put there by God to enable us to stop. You hear me? To enable us to stop. Those suddenlies, whatever it is, a car accident, an illness, whatever it may be, a lo loss of a job, but it, but it enables you to stop. It's like a roadblock. It stops you thinking and acting and doing what you have been doing, particularly if what you have been doing has not really been in the line of where God wants you to be or has been destructive and particularly if you felt powerless to do anything about it, but the Lord suddenly comes along and he puts a, a roadblock there to change the way we think, to renew our mind so that we have a different outcome. James 1 verses 2 to 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> Throw a party when you have a hard time. Hmm, yeah. Knowing that testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. Hey, that's God's goal, that you may be perfect and complete, altogether, whole, lacking nothing. Then it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So, when trouble comes, what do you do? Well, God says, ask me for wisdom. So the trial, the trouble comes, and it stops you in your tracks. It's a roadblock. And you cry out to God for wisdom. And the Holy Spirit fills your mind. God's wisdom, not earthly wisdom. And so the Holy Spirit fills your mind and fills your thinking. And the more you keep at it, and the more you keep crying out for wisdom, that wisdom will build a new pathway in your brain, neural pathway, if you want to use that language. 
And as you kept letting, keep letting him influence your thinking with his wisdom, a freeway is carved out in your mind to a better destination. So not all terrible things that happen are really bad. Sometimes God allows it. Anyway, back to encounters. The greatest encounter that you could have is meeting Jesus Christ. I need to say that. That is the greatest encounter that you could have, is meeting Jesus Christ. I don't mean going to church. I don't mean saying a prayer. I mean meeting Jesus Christ, having an encounter where you know that it's, boom, hit you in here. That's the greatest encounter that you could have, meeting Jesus Christ, having an encounter with a living Savior and being changed from the inside him hitting your spirit, not just the soulish part of you, not just your body, but hitting you inside where that deadness in you is born again. Change from the inside out. I want to look at, um, I've been studying the life of the patriarchs you know, for, for quite some time, and I, I want to look at Jacob <clears throat> in particular just for a moment this morning. In relation to encounters, you see, Jacob, when he was running away from home, Genesis 28, by the way, when he was running away from home, he had an encounter. And the background is, you know, years earlier, he'd actually, you know, um, stolen his brother's, Esau's birthright. He got hold of that. You know the story. And now, just before he's running away, he's ended up deceiving his father, Isaac, uh, into giving him the uh, the firstborn's blessing because Jacob was a secondborn. His conniving mother was at the back of that, Rebecca. She wasn't just a nice lady after all. She was the brains behind the operation. And he received the blessing, tricked his, tricked his father into blessing him. Read the story for yourself. And Esau, his brother, now has made a vow to kill him. He wanted to take him out. I guess he was a little bit upset. He would be. Firstborn's blessing was the most important. You got all the inheritance and you know, the, the, you know everything that went with it. So, yep, he wasn't very happy about it. So now he's on the run from Bersheba. By the way, sent away by his mother. His mother says, hey, you need to get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. She goes and has a word with her husband Isaac and say, hey, I don't want Jacob, our son, uh, marrying one of these foreign ladies around here. Send him back to our family, my family back in Haran. And so that's how it went. So Isaac sends his son off. In reality, Jacob is actually on the run. And off he goes. And the, here he is on the run. And he's out and on his first night out away from home. He's out there. He's set up camp. And I'll read it from Genesis 28. 10 to 15, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a, a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven. He saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. 
the ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Wow. Jacob had an encounter. He was 76 years of age. Imagine being 76 years of age and your mother's telling you still what to do. That's just, by the way, sorry, we'll not go there. But <clears throat> anyhow, he's 76 and he had an encounter and he received the promises of the Abrahamic covenant just like his father Isaac had before him. I will bless you and make you a blessing. I will give this land to you. You will increase and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And listen, Jacob would have heard these stories from his grandfather Abraham because he was alive. In fact, in fact, Jacob was age 15 when Abraham died. So in fact, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all living together at the one time. Living in Cana, the land of promise. Strangers in the land of promise. And he would have heard the stories from old Abe. He would have heard them and it would have affected him. And he wanted that heritage passed down. He wanted the blessing. And his mother would have told him how God spoke to her and said that he was the one. And so he, 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 he deceives his older brother. He, he takes the birthright and then he, he with, by deception, gets the blessing and now he's running for his life. Mom says, you better go, son. You're going to be in trouble. I'll call for you in a few days. <laughs> Didn't happen that way. So he's running, but he wanted this. There's a key for us. We need to be hungry for God. He was hungry. But he had an encounter. Running for his life. And we would say, you're not fit for an encounter. You deceiving, conniving, miserable, 70-year-old so-and-so. But God met him when he was on the run. And I call that grace. We've been singing about it this morning. He heard the stories, but now he's hearing it for himself. He had an encounter. He was hungry. He wanted the blessing. He went about it the wrong way. And he never saw his mom again. And it was 20 years before he saw his dad again. His thinking was all messed up. But God broke into his world anyhow, and he had an encounter. And this morning, you can have an encounter too, if you're hungry for the Lord. Amen. Are you with me? You too as well. 20 years later, you know, cut this story short, 20 years later, Jacob, after running for his life again because of, the, because of running away from his uncle Laban. And now he's fearful about meeting his Esau because now he's on his way home. 
and Jacob has another encounter. He wrestles with an angel all night, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me, Genesis 32, 26. And that counter led to his name being changed. The angel says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. My name is deceiver. My name is supplanter, because that's what Jacob means. You've got to face up to who you really are, Jacob. There's a message there. And now that you have, you'll no longer be called the deceiver, the supplanter. You'll no longer be called that. I'm giving you a new name, and your name shall be called Israel. And Israel means you shall be called Prince with God. Your name can be changed this morning. Your past can be forgiven. You can have a new future when you have an encounter with the Almighty. All you need is a little bit of hunger in your heart and may take a step towards Him. Amen. Hallelujah. Encounters. We need to wrap up and finish up. I have no idea of the time. That's a great thing. My first encounter was when I was about 11 years of age. I got baptized in water and I loved the baptisms here a couple of weeks ago and listening to testimonies. Anybody here? Wasn't it good? I love hearing what, you know, how people met Jesus and the change that takes place. Man, great. Loved it. Well, 11 years of age, I had my encounters. I got baptized in water in a little church in Palomina, and I was changed. Something happened to me on that day. The second encounter that I can remember happened to me when I was about 14 years of age. I was back in that same little church in Balamina, which is about 20 miles from where I live, and there I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You might not agree with that this morning. Um, you know, I'm not too bothered, and I don't want to make a theological thing. All I'm saying is, as a 14-year-old boy, I wanted something, and I didn't know what I wanted, but I wanted it anyhow, and I tell you, they carried me out of that church. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was changed. Something happened to me. Balamina, by the way, is connected to the Ulster Revival. Some of you might have heard of the Ulster Revival. And prior to the revival, the church state in, in Northern Ireland was dead. It was like the Laodicean church. It was lukewarm. Uh, one account of one minister said that he'd been preaching the gospel for 11 years and never saw one person got saved. That's how bad it was. So that's leading up to the revival. And then revival starts, and it started in a little place called Kells. I like Kells. Why? Because I've still got family living in Kells, and Janet said family living in Kells, and there's a connection there. And the revival started in this little village. You know, today it must be only, what, maybe a thousand people at the most today. Don't know what it was back then. It certainly was a lot smaller. And we have the story of this one guy, this one man, just an ordinary man, and he heard a testimony of a lady just out in the street, not in church, and he got so convicted and he started wrestling with God, and he actually ended up bowing the knee and giving his life to Jesus Christ, and he got so excited about it that he went and told one of his mates, who was a church goer at the local Presbyterian church, and this guy had been going to church, you know, for all his life, but he didn't know Jesus. He was a church goer, but he never had had an encounter. Anyhow, the story goes that the two met, and the other guy had an encounter, and then he led two other guys to, to, to the Lord, and so you got four people saved, and these four saved, four saved guys 
determined to commit themselves to praying once a week, and they started doing that in the village of Kales in the little school hall. I say a little school hall because it was a little old school hall made of stone. And so they committed themselves to prayer, and the object of their prayer was that they would study the Word, and they would pray for an out more of God and an outpouring on the community with their understanding. They'd never been to Bible college. They'd nothing else behind them. One of them, I believe, was a butcher. They were just ordinary guys, but something happened, and they committed themselves to pray. And after one year, that little group, they used to rock up in the middle of winter with a handful of peat under their arm and a Bible under the other arms. Peat, by the way, is Irish for wood. We dig our wood out of the ground. Peat, and we burn peat. Is that a foreign concept here? Google it. <clears throat> And they did that for the wood burner, which really was a peat burner in the middle of the room, and that's how they kept warm and they committed themselves. And after one year, that little group had turned into 50 men. 50 men are now praying and praying and believing for revival, although they didn't call it revival. And the churches in Iran turned against them and thought they were crazy and said there is no need for another Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is, has already come. And so they were mocked and abused, but they still kept committed to praying, and now there's 50, and then following into the next year, there's now 100 groups meeting all over the promise. They were meeting in, 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 in rooms, they were meeting in barns, even in factories. People were meeting and praying for revival, and revival broke out. Hallelujah. And when revival broke out, the, the, you know, that, that church... <laughs> That non-Pentecostal non church got filled with the Holy Spirit, the minister included, and that became a center of revival for Northern Ireland, and it broke out all over the province. People would come to church, or people would be out in the streets, and they'd come under conviction, and God would knock them down, and they'd be lying out on the ground before God, and they'd get up changed. People would be in trances for up to three days at a time. God was moving all over. I could tell you lots and lots of stories. I haven't got time, just enough to tell you that a move took place and people got saved and a transformation took place in the province of Northern Ireland. In one year, 100,000 people gave their lives to Christ. And it started with four people being persecuted by the church because they wanted to see change. 100,000 people in one year. Amen. Oh, there's a prayer meeting tomorrow night. That's not why I'm saying this, but there's a prayer meeting for encounter tomorrow night. Maybe it's the start of something. Amen. Oh. Pubs went out of business. Distilleries where they made whiskey had to close down. Crime rate in one year was reduced by 50%. Because four ordinary people were hungry for God. And God took the weak, ordinary vessels, unqualified, uneducated, and He used them. And revival broke out. And society changed for the better. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.